Earthlings, and welcome to the Big Chew Podcast. I'm your host, Maria Stockmuller. Here at the Big Chew, we ask, hey, what's a way to live on the earth that's not stupid? What can science tell us? What can spirit tell us? So grab a bite and let's masticate. Today I'm really happy to share a chat with my friend Laura Lomas, an intuitive and healer who works with people around the world from her home here in Vermont. We'll talk about whether our culture's headed for a spiritual shift, how she helps people with a problem we all share, and she'll teach us a meditation to ground us back into the earth. We'll also briefly discuss how disproportionately huge my head was as a child. So stick around. Talking with Laura Lomas, who is wonderful. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> who I've worked with for years and who has probably saved my life <laughs> on more than one occasion. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think so. I know so. <laughs> We're going to talk about a bunch of things. But how do you describe what you do? Hmm. <clears throat> well, I call myself an intuitive. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, in the beginning, I had a hard time with any form of label you know I couldn't I did I was because what I do is who I am so it was really hard for me to sort of come up with something to call myself on a business card Mm or for I don't advertise but for my website and so intuitive was ultimately the thing that I kind of sort of felt the the most resonance with in my heart and that's what I use Um, how do I describe what I do I I read people's energies and I help them recognize where there's blockages within the energy centers. I help them clear that space with a, through understanding, acknowledgement, um, and I try to help them connect to their inner truth, to the truth of who they are inside, which is also the truth of who everyone, we all are inside, which is love. So I don't know how to describe that necessarily. Well, that was good. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> when did you first feel or know that this was something that you were? Right. Um, I think the best way to answer that is to say it wasn't an understanding of what I was as much as an understanding of what other people weren't. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when you're little and you are the way you are, you just assume everybody's exactly the same. You don't like know I, any different. I thought everyone had a really big head. <laughs> Well, little people do. Babies do. You had your moment, you know. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> no wonder your mother hates you. Um. She has never forgiven me. My mother has never forgiven me. My brother weighed almost ten pounds, but no, my mother has never forgiven me for the size of my head. But continue. Anyway, so what was the question? <laughs> I'm imagining your mother giving birth to you now. You've thrown me completely off. I let me just tell you this one thing. I knew this woman was comic who, when she was born, she was a breech birth. Ooh. And she said, for a while there, I was wearing my mother as a hat. It's <laughs> extremely just disturbing. Stop and, <laughs> just stop and think about that. You who's never had children, you're not allowed to laugh at these things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hey, I'm laughing at all of you. Um, Okay, so you were a child and you didn't, right, you didn't, you thought that the way you were was the way everyone would probably be. 
I also, I know for a fact that this gift comes down from my mother's father, my mm -hmm. Spanish grandfather, his name was Yayo, mm -hmm. um, and he was very, very psychic. Mm -hmm. um, he was the director of the Berlitz School of Languages, amazing man. So there was that kind of in the background, and then me being in a very dysfunctional family with my mom and dad, and having to read the energy of a room before I walked in. Yeah. You know, you were good at it. I could hear when the shit was going to hit the fan. Yeah, before you know, even it was slung in the first place. And from a different floor. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so all of the, so I actually am very grateful for that sort of very dysfunctional background because it fine-tuned my skills. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, again, I wasn't conscious of any of this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was doing any of this, mm -hmm. but it really allowed me to read people's stuff. I think the, my, my one first dawning of, oh, something's different was when I was speaking, I would speak to people and they would say something mm -hmm. and I'm looking at their eyes and I'm mm -hmm. thinking, that's not what you believe. That's oh, not, really? I know that you're telling me a lie. Like I knew that I couldn't trust what I was being told in, how, a, in a way, but I believe. How old were you in this? Oh, I was little, you know, maybe age six, seven, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Hmm. I mean, was it like teachers, adults? It was mostly adults around me, mm -hmm. um, teachers, yes. And really being aware of the fact that Adults don't say what they mean. Right. They don't say what's really truly going on in their eyes. And I knew to trust this, the eyes, and not the voice. And somehow, that uh, you know, those eyes are the windows to the soul kind of expression. It's genuinely a true thing. And I think for, for me, I believed always what was behind the eyes and not what was being spoken. And so I learned that, oh, okay, well, I've got to be careful. And I remember questioning it with my grandmother, who I was quite close to. And, she would be like, oh, honey, you know, that's just what grown-ups do and things like that. And, but, it, you know, it sort of stayed with me. It left a, a big mark. So I guess fast forward a couple of years as a teenager, you know, I knew that being kind to people or being communicative with people, I was very precocious, you know, chat, chit chatty. And I knew that that was a good thing for some reason. There was something about connecting to people that way. So I didn't believe what people were saying to me necessarily, if I could see behind their eyes that they were telling me a dis something that wasn't true or didn't really resonate in their heart. But I was very communicative and particularly when I could look at somebody and say, oh, they are resonant with what they're saying with their heart, we would just start talking. And I just mm -hmm. remember always being told and hearing over and over again, I can't believe I'm telling you this, you're so young. Or, wow, I haven't, I've never told that to anyone else, you know, things like that. And I remember as a little kid being like, ooh, this is something I should be proud of. This is cool. This is good. And it encouraged that in me, I think. That sort of opened doors. When I learned how to meditate at about the age of 16, 17, I was right, right before I graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. I feel horrible talking about myself so much. <laughs> I know you want me That's to, but this, why is, we're here. this is not that I do. <laughs> I don't do this regularly. Just relax. <laughs> Lean into it. <laughs> So I started reading a lot of books. Like mm -hmm. I got my hands on, what was the first one? Oh, you know what it was? This what? is so silly. I feel almost embarrassed to admit it. Shirley MacLaine. Oh. Do you remember she had that whole series of books? At yes. One point? And in fact, the one where she talks about going through her past life recalls yes, in Galisteo. Yes. I went to the same oh, place. Oh, you did? Yeah. Cool. Um, no, I remember it was like out on a limb. Yes, or... out on a limb and going within. And <laughs> Oh, my God. I read those books from cover to cover. And, they, and that was like my first sort of, oh, 
oh, I'm not crazy. There's other people who really believe this. And she had made suggestions of things that she'd read. And so I then mm -hmm. started buying all these books. And mm -hmm. it just was like a, this mm -hmm. tsunami after that mm -hmm. of information and mm -hmm. energetic and opening and opening, literally like, you know, energetic opening. But I was always afraid, there was a fear attached, particularly, I was afraid that I was going to go into a meditation and never be able to come out of it. Mm. I mean, a very deep, visceral fear that that mm -hmm. was gonna happen to mm -hmm. me. And so I was afraid to meditate, I was afraid mm -hmm. to meditate. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to, but no, I'm not going to. And I, mm -hmm. for a couple of years, I read and read and read, but I wouldn't do it. And then I had this really funny little experience, this weird flirtation. I was at Roanoke College where I went to school, and my freshman year, I was doing this phonathon thing for the school. Oh God, I haven't thought about this in years. They were all we'd all been given shoeboxes with with cards, you know, note cards of alumni. The, of alumni, exactly. Yeah. You have to call. And there was this guy called the Doctor Reverend Peter Wise, Eugene, Oregon. So I called him, and we ended up having this long conversation. He was like the only person I talked to in like four hours. Did he give any money? There. I don't remember. <laughs> but boy, did he open my eyes up. But he's the one who kind of got me into reading and into proper meditation. He was a, a, a philosophy professor at the University mm -hmm. of Oregon. And as soon as I started to meditate, the first time I did it, I was petrified. I was uh -huh. literally shaking. I was quaking. Wow. And I did get to this kind of like stone place that I felt, oh, I'm never going to be able to move again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because I could just go into it so easily and oh, so really? deeply without realizing. Because it's something, obviously, that I knew how to do very well. But boom. And I went. And, um, and I, I got over that fear. But I, I was there probably did it for like two hours the first time and for the last hour I felt like I couldn't move so I had to so my body was cellular remembering something at the time I now know what it was but at the time I didn't um, and then kind of came what out of it? it well so fast forward I marry an Englishman I'm living in Bath in England it always felt like home to me so mm. my grandparents lived there I used to love going there as a kid and the fact that I've been married to these two Englishmen, you know, it's kind oh, of Oh, I didn't know you were married to two Englishmen. Two. Two. Yes. Oh. yes. Uh, anyway, so we were living in Bath with my first husband. Okay. And Bath is a very, very spiritual city. It's built along ley lines, which mm -hmm. are those energetic lines that go, um, and, they're, and it's Roman, obviously. Right. And, and I had this friend, Tessa Richardson-Jones, my dear, dear, dear Tessa, who's since died of breast cancer. Tessa and I were walking... Uh, down this little place called Miles Buildings, and they had this bookshop. Somehow, while I was there, I saw on the wall um, a woman who did past life regressions, and that mm -hmm. really appealed to me. I was like, ooh, ooh, I want to try that. So I called her, mm -hmm. and I made an appointment, and I went to see her. And it was very interesting because she started talking to me about what to do, and I was like 10 steps ahead of her the oh, entire really? time because mm -hmm. it was so clear that all I needed to do was state the intention that I wanted to have this information, and it was like, mm -hmm. boom, it was right mm -hmm. there. And ultimately, what I witnessed was I was a woman. I was very tall. Um, it was somewhere in Ireland or England. And I had this black cloak on, black shoes, black hood. And people in this little seaside village where I was hated me. Like, they looked at me with mm -hmm. utter hatred. And I was very tall and kind of hard to hide. And mm -hmm. I was sort of trying to hide. And um, I was walking from, I went from the beach coastline down this little path into this little fishing village. 
and a little terrace of houses. And I walked into this one terrace and terrace had a knocker on the door. And I opened it up and I had to like sort of stoop mm -hmm. to get in. And there was just this single room with a big fireplace and a door here and a little sort of round staircase that went up like that. And that was it. This door went to sort of a kitcheny area and that went to a bedroom. And I went in and there was a little chair and a table in front of the fireplace and I sat down and I felt really, really sad, like just utterly, just such sadness in my heart. And this woman came out from the sort of kitchen area and I just remember telling this story to my sister-in-law who is a big time born again Christian. I was telling this story to her and she burst into tears and she said, I know that I was that woman. Oh my God. Yeah, it was just the craziest, wackiest thing. But anyway, so she, this woman came in and sort of put her hands on my shoulders and she said to me, just can't you try to believe what everybody's telling you to believe and stop trying to you know, upset the apple cart. You know, you're, you're getting yourself into trouble. You just go along with it. Can't you just pretend? And so she left and went back in the other room and I walked upstairs to the little bedroom and underneath the bed was this big box and I opened it up and there was a Bible that had sort of a cross on it with you know, like semi-precious stones mm -hmm. kind of embedded mm -hmm. on it. And I brought it down and I opened it up and I'm reading it and I'm just sitting there thinking, no, this isn't right, this isn't right. And then it stopped. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm done. And she's like, no, I think there's more. Um, this was the woman, this was the woman I was talking to. Like yeah. and, and she said, ask if there's anything more you need to see. I was like, okay. So of course, boom, immediately, mm -hmm. I see myself looking down at my feet and I'm standing on straw and I feel bound, like I can't move. Uh-oh, and I'm burned at the uh -huh. stake. Uh -oh. Yeah, and I'm, I can't move, and I'm looking out, and I'm explaining to her what I'm seeing. And she said, she asked me at this point, how do you feel towards the people in the audience? She said, are you angry with them? And I was like, no, not at all. I just feel so sad. I was just like mm -hmm. so sad that this is happening, that, that they can't hear the truth. And, um, and then somebody came and sort of lit the, this mm -hmm. pyre. But I was taken out of my body at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. I was like, so I started to then see it from above and I could feel the presence of something very loving around me. And the presence says to me, Laura, it's, it's pe people need to come to you. You can't convince people of that truth. They need to come to it to themselves or they need to come find you and you can then share it, but you can't go out spouting it. So this, the fact that I'm sitting here having this conversation with you is the first time I've ever actually like pronounced this information. This is, this is what I know because I've always held that so close to my heart. I don't advertise what mm -hmm. I do. I don't do, you know, I don't go out there making a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. People in the community who've known me, a lot of them don't even know I do what I do. Mm -hmm. It's like, not that I'm hiding it. I'm right. certainly not hiding it, mm -hmm. but it's not something I talk yeah. about, which is why I feel so awkward doing is this, this now. Is this okay though? Yeah, yeah, to, I think it's okay. I think yeah. it's time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not because I'm going to go out, make pronouncements, or change who I am. Yeah. But just I think it's okay to share. Yeah. Well, you were raised Catholic. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. One true faith. <laughs> Don't we know that? <laughs> and your mother called the priest over oh, yes. to your house, yes. right? Yeah. Can yeah. you tell that story? Yes, I will. Yes, she was very worried about me because I start talking about reincarnation and I'm talking about the Buddha and I'm talking about all of these things that I've been reading and she's getting scared. And how old are you at this point? I was senior in high school. I think it was the summer between mm -hmm. first and second year college, like roughly that. Mm -hmm. And she was getting very, very, very worried at that point because she couldn't 
she didn't understand anything I was saying. She's like, you know, my daughter's going off the rails. So she called Father Nick, who has since left the priesthood, by the way. Oh, really? I mean, like two years after that, he left the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And he came for dinner. She was, you know, very scared. She's like, please come talk to my daughter. Convince her, you know, she's going off the rails. I'm worried for her soul, you know, that kind of <laughs> right, thing. Right, yeah. All fear, 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 fear. My mom's fear, worried fear, for fear. my soul. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> she still prays for my soul in her church, by the way. Is she um, still Catholic? No, now she's born again Christian. Oh, as well. that's right. Anyway, so Father Nick came, and we had this very, really lovely discussion. My mother kept stone the entire time mm -hmm. and just sort of sat there with her eyes, you know, huge and, and watching. So Nick kept, Father Nick kept saying, what about this and what about that? And, and I had answers for him because I'd read so much at that point. But it wasn't so much that I was spouting what I had read as much as I really felt I was speaking truth. I really felt I was sharing what I believed to be genuinely true. And that was true for everyone and that somehow people had just gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so ultimately what he said to me, and I will forever be grateful to this man, he said, Laura, religion is man-made. If you wanna go directly to God, go for it. And he gave me permission. I felt like every single bit of weight of sort of being raised Catholic was just mm -hmm. completely erased from my entire karmic contract and soul and everything in mm -hmm. one fell swoop. And I could just go out and tap into what I like to coin universal truths, the truths that underlie all of the man-made stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I like to try and participate in, you know, those truths. Do you feel a certain thing physically or... How do you know when you're actually tied into something? So there's Laura in my office, mm -hmm. and then there's Laura outside of the office. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm still me in both, in both things, but when I'm in my office, I open up to that information. Mm -hmm. I have had to learn how to not be wide open like that all the time mm -hmm. because it's disconcerting. Mm -hmm. And I can sit here and give you a whole bunch of examples. I had to learn how, and it took me a quite a number of years. I actually, when I first started doing this work, I got very sick. Mm -hmm. I mean, and having been a sick kid all the time, I just assumed it was, you know, manifesting itself again. But it was because energetically I was just leaking everywhere. You know, I had, I didn't know enough of the specifics of how to deal with this sort of thing yet. Um, and I was just opening myself up and connecting to people. And of course, I was going to heal the world, wasn't I? I was just going to go out there and, you know, even though I, I wasn't going to share with people what I did, I was just going to energetically open my heart and help everybody even though I should have learned that the first time around. <laughs> so anyway, when I'm in my office mm. and I'm open and I'm talking to someone, when they come in, we'll start discussing things. But for somebody who's never seen me before, when I go to bed at night, I'm like, okay, I'm seeing thus and such. A person tomorrow, share with me whatever it is that will help me get to the root of whatever I can help them with, mm -hmm. or we can help them with, because I don't see that this is me doing this on my own, right? So um, I always have a dream. So they come in and I'll share with them the dream and sometimes their jaw hangs open and sometimes they're like, I have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. But we always get to the bottom of it. But, but that opens the doorway of communication. So in our sleep that starts and then they come in and we start discussing things and I'll start asking questions that seem relevant based on what I'm knowing from the dream that I'd had. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on the right track, I get kind of goosebumpy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you hear really beautiful music or mm -hmm. something and you get that shivery feeling, it feels like that. So I then pay attention to that and follow that, that strain. If I start asking questions that go off of that, it gets weaker and weaker, and then as it gets stronger and stronger, I go back to it. So I kind of wiggle my way into um, a place of connection to them so that I understand what's going on. But then that kind of dissipates, and it's just a knowing that comes through because mm -hmm. the connection's been made.
So you said we. So mm -hmm. who who else is? <laughs> well, who's in there? You know, honestly, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I believe you can call it your soul. I believe you can say your higher self. I can say I'm connected to God, to spirit. I use I use the word spirit because it's a sort of non-denominational whatever, mm -hmm. and it feels it feels appropriate somehow because there's a it's a res I respect whatever this is you know mm -hmm. in some way. Um, when I first started doing this, I literally saw guides in my head. Like there, I had three of them. The first one I saw was this woman who I called Red because I didn't have a name. There was no name. Whenever I would say, what, what's your name? It would never come through. But she was this big kind of Celtic priestess mm -hmm. type thing with, you know, red cloak and red hair. And she was always standing on the side of a mountain and windy and speaking to me in this lilty kind of almost poetic way that was mm -hmm. so not the way I speak at all. I couldn't speak that way if somebody had gun to my head. So that was sort of <laughs> a really good good notion, or, you know, indicator to me that something else was happening. Mm -hmm. And she would share information for me. And then I would then pick up a book and read something and it would correlate to what it was I'd just been told. Whoa. And it, that happened so often that I stopped questioning anything. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times that happened, but I needed it to be that way. I needed to know that what I was being, what was being shared with me was accurate. Like, ah, now I've got proof. Okay, I'll prove it again. I'll prove it again. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I started to believe what mm -hmm. I was being told, she disappeared. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Like I didn't see her anymore. And I kind of went through this little grieving process thinking, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm never gonna be able to do this again. What's going on? And then this other entity came up um, that I called Shukro for some reason. It was this sort of masculine, universal sort of, it wasn't, it was more an, amor an amorphous energy mm -hmm. that kind of came that had a very different, it was very male, very masculine. Although it's funny because I perceive the um, divine feminine as a universal energy that's female. Mm -hmm. But this was a masculine kind of energy. Um, and it had and spoke very differently, gave me very different information. Boom, there it was again. The next time I would pick up a book, there it mm -hmm. was, there it was, mm -hmm. there it was. Mm -hmm. And then he disappeared. And then I had another one who I called Running Bear, which was this Native American man who used to come and take me on journeys. And I would go on these journeys with him. And I'd sit in meditation and he would show up. And I, I couldn't call him in. If I wanted him there, and I'd be like, hello, can we go on a journey? No, would not mm -hmm. happen. That was the other thing I had to learn. I cannot make it happen. It's either there or it's not there. I open. I get the information I get. I cannot create it. You mm -hmm. know, it's there. I open to it. It's there. If I try and reach out to it, it sort of gets farther away somehow. Hmm. So anyway, so I would go on these journeys and discover stuff about myself and things that, that, that they were showing me very much with the sort of Native American, you know, understanding that mm -hmm. sort of very much thumps through the vein of everything that I believe as well because of that connection to nature. So I feel like I had my connection to the past through this goddess, the mm -hmm. connection to the universe through this sort of masculine male energy, and then the connection to the earth through this Native American. Mm -hmm. um, and then they all kind of just stopped, and then it just became the knowing. So and I was no longer seeing it outside of me, but just having it in my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm having such a hard time talking about myself, <laughs> although it doesn't seem like I am, does it? I'm yapping away. <laughs> so it's kind of a two-part question. Do people come in with the same kind of need and has that changed over the time that you've been working with everybody people? comes in with an issue with separation and we have to figure out what it is that's created the separation mm -hmm. everyone so what that means is separation from self so when our energy centers are holding stuff we are separated from our truth 
and every, it manifests in different ways, mm -hmm. but it's all the same thing. So whether it's depression, whether it's a physical complaint, whether it's something that they just can't put that's not tangible, you know, they can't put their finger on it, whether they know that there's something more in their world that they haven't been able to achieve emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of those sorts of things. Most people come in with a weight that needs to be, you know, addressed. And do you think that weight is a cultural thing? Well, I have clients all over the world, mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a cultural component to it because mm -hmm. we're born into our clan, right. um, and everybody needs to learn how to ground into the truth of who they are beyond their clan, beyond their cultural attachment beyond even past lives that are still resonating within our body and in our cells. We need to learn how to connect into the earth properly, truly individuate ourselves beyond that. Not because we don't want to be connected to it anymore. It's all still always going to be a part of you, but there's an intention to go beyond the blockages. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody needs that. It doesn't matter if you're Japanese or Russian or English mm -hmm. or I've got people in you know, Argentina, it doesn't matter. That, that is all the same. And connecting to that universal love and light and opening to that truth of who we are on the inside, because we as physical beings need physical grounding, mm -hmm. and then we're spiritual beings, and we need that connection to the soul. So that's, it's our physical body is the shell that holds the inner. And so we, we're kind of a vessel? We're a vessel, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Now, I know you do, you know, we've worked on some chakra stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that part of how you deal with the blockages? Yes. Yeah. Is there, a, is there a corollary in the West for the whole chakra system? I mean, it seems like such an important it's thing. It's hugely important, and it needs to become, I think, personally, that the finally the wave of meditation it, it, there was that first wave in the 20s, then there was the 70s, then there was the new agey thing. Now it's becoming mainstream. We're so close. It takes so long for something to become mainstream. I think the meditation piece has to be in place first before people can open up to the realities of the energy centers. Mm -hmm. Because we need to be able to still our minds to be able to get in there to see those things. Mm -hmm. So I always teach people how to do some sort of meditation, always. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, I, if, no one, if everyone just left here and only learned how to meditate, I feel like I'd, my job would be done. It's in that stillness that you get the knowing, whether it's from your body or from your mind or from spirit. You've mentioned before something about a turquoise chakra, that there's oh, yeah, some yeah. kind of new, yeah. new yeah. chakra. What's, <clears throat> yeah, what's yeah, yeah. going on And there? also, I think the whole sort of attachment to color of chakra, I use it for people just because having a visualization gets our brain engaged and mm -hmm. our mind into the process, mm -hmm. but it's not necessary. All that really matters anymore is intention. But yes, so this new turquoise chakra, which is almost everybody is, you know, it's, it, to me it's not a secondary one, it's a primary one now mm -hmm. that just hasn't been quite acknowledged. But it's between the heart and the throat. The heart is green, the throat is blue. Right. Throat is speaking your truth, the heart is love. You know, and, and that to me, this, this turquoise one, is the bridge between speaking your heart's truth mm -hmm. and being able to get your own truth spoken from your heart, mm -hmm. not just from your, from your head. Right. So it's a very crucial energetic that needs to be clear so that flow between those two things can, can be open so that we can then also receive that from someone else too. Mm -hmm. So with the energy centers, we're giving, but we're also receiving. So there's, a, there's constantly an exchange going on. Mm -hmm. And we want, we want everything to be clear. 
you said people get wrapped up in the colors of the chakras and that kind of thing, and all we need anymore is intention. Is that because we're on some kind of progression? Yes. And I wanted to ask you if you thought <clears throat> we were in an actual period of change or yes. shift. And it's really hard. It's like, you know, if you buy a red car, then you see all the red cars on yes. the road. Yeah. So it's hard to say from from one person, oh yeah, this is something that I feel is going on, but maybe that's just the kind of stuff that I'm into, that mm -hmm. I pay attention mm -hmm. to. Well, there's a component to that that's true, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and that's true on the mental mm -hmm. level. I believe, and I have experienced this enough times now over the last 20, how many years? How many years are I doing this? Almost 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> that we as human beings have gone through massive evolutionary changes, right? From, you just look at Darwinism, okay? The whole way through. I believe that we're on a spiritual evolutionary shift that's mm -hmm. taking place. And I think that it's going from the old paradigm of the sort of masculine power, blah, 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 into unifying, compassionate, loving, um, weaving together energy. Mm -hmm. So going from the individual to the collective, from the from power to acceptance, from you know war to love, those mm -hmm. sorts of things. And we're kind of in this tipping point right here. Mm -hmm. And there are more and more people who are driving red cars. <laughs> There really are. <laughs> and I mean, there's even some belief systems, you know, and again, uh, because I'm, I'm anti-belief system and yet here I am spouting a belief system, right? right? It's just, I don't know how else to say, you know, what you feel, but you got to kind of put it into some sort of context that there's this tipping point that's taking place where people are understanding that the old way of doing something was very valuable, worthy worthy of honoring however it's time to let go from that yeah. and allow this new way of being to to take place I mean it's happening everywhere we look there are things are just disintegrating you know and it's going to get worse and I don't say that in a fearful way yeah. things have to kind of degrade before they right. can grow back up again right you know there's there's too much interconnection between people and the planet now for there not to be emerging of the truths. Someone could say, well, look at all the religious violence or in, for example, Islam, the, the various sects can't get along with each other. Is that kind of the circling of the wagons before yes. it all yes. kind yes. of Yes, and that's up. their greatest fear. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, they look at the West and see this debauched world, and they've got a point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, well, let's honor that. You know, they have got a point. But that's also just the chaos before the calm. Yeah, <clears throat> it's just the way we do things on this planet. <laughs> you know, I was listening yesterday to uh, to the radio, and they were talking to the new bishop for Vermont, and he sounded, you know, like a reasonable guy and but it was interesting to watch his cherry picker in action because uh -huh. someone called in and asked well what about transgender people are you are you open to them coming to church or something and he said well you know it's interesting because science is telling us that you know transgender people there's something really there genetic and um, it's not a choice and so, you know, maybe we need to rethink this. And I'm thinking, well, 
What about all the other stuff that science is yeah. saying? <laughs> saying that yeah. you're basically <laughs> uh, thumbing your nose at. The Native Americans called um, transgendered people two-spirited. Mm -hmm. And they were perceived, they were revered. Right. Because they were of both genders. Right. And I, I, I personally believe that that's almost where we're going evolutionarily. It seems that to <laughs> insist on a binary system mm. is kind of crazy. And I say this as someone who is so heterosexual. <laughs> I mean, and I consider myself, you know, on that side of the mm -hmm. spectrum. But I've certainly, having lived in San Francisco and worked in the arts, um, <laughs> know yeah. pl plenty of people <coughs> who've been yes. elsewhere in yes. the spectrum. I think it's experiential. I think we are experiential beings. Mm -hmm. And when we experience something, we have a better understanding of it than if we just hear about it. Mm -hmm. And because being gay or whatever was closeted for such yes. a long time, mm -hmm. people didn't have experience of it right. very much, right? right? Just And I think that the more people like Ellen DeGeneres and people right. who have come out and really stood up and said, this yeah. is who we are, this yeah. is, this is right. reality, and they're really lovely people, yeah. peop everyone else is kind of able to go, oh, well, that's not that bad. It's funny that you bring her up because I vote, first of all, we have the same birthday, uh -huh. but um, to think that an out lesbian has... A cover girl contract. She yes. was, you know, yes. she was shilling makeup yes. and has a daytime TV talk show that Middle America loves. Yes. yes, is just amazing. It's extraordinary. It really is amazing. Yes. Oh, she's she's a ceiling breaker. That one. There's yeah. No question about it. Yeah. But you can see what I mean. So you have to experience other cultures to have respect right. for them. You have to experience other people's way of life to have respect for them, to understand them, to know them. Right. Just like when I walked on fire, the guy had to do it first to show us it was possible, mm -hmm. and then we could do it. Because we saw him, we mm -hmm. realized, oh, this is possible, and then mm -hmm. we did it. We, that's how we learn. It's like a morphic resonance, yes. I think. You know, no one can break the three-minute mm -hmm. mile until someone does, and, and then, then everybody will. next week yes. somebody else exactly. does. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with the spiritual stuff. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Now, when you talk about how everything really is love, for mm -hmm. someone like me who doesn't really like people, it's hard. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I but you to, ooze love. <laughs> I ooze love. You don't I, ooze like, I, but you <laughs> ooze love. How <laughs> lame. I'd rather ooze love, who, you know? Who wants to be that person? <laughs> exactly. But it, it's kind of, I think this culture has such a weird idea of what love is. Well, there's egoic love, and then there's the love I'm talking about. Right. They're totally different. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Who got your love? I know what I'm talking about. It's, I think it's hard for people to recognize or to know what that is, mm. you know. Or well, that it's not tangible. It's it's not anything you can hold in your arms. It's not, it's not something you can kiss or you know right. make love to. It's 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 not that. It's heart center. It's heart love. Yeah. It's the it's the feeling when you stand on the ocean and you look out and just stand there in awe, you know, or being in nature. Nature is a is a big love component. I mean, being in nature, walking, really connecting, seeing beautiful things, the way that that makes you feel, that's that's kind of a physical manifestation of it. Did I ever tell you about my uncle Fred, the priest, the Monsignor? Yeah, you've yeah, mentioned yeah. him quite okay. a few times. Well, he used to he used to say about 
Catholicism, and he was a real company man. <laughs> um, and he had trouble with the Pueblo Indians that he worked with. You know, he was the pastor of their Pueblo. And there were people there who loved him, and then there were people who didn't. And he said, this is a natural religion with the sun and the moon and the earth and all that. Ours is a supernatural religion. It's above all that. So many Western religions ply the trade of transcendence. Mm -hmm. That in order for something to be spiritual, you have to transcend earthly existence. And that has never felt true to me. Mm -mm. It's not um, true. I think that they created this notion of transcendence to have ownership to create separation, to intentionally create separation. And in doing so, then what ownership. would they get? Ownership of your soul. So for the religions to have yeah. ownership of your soul. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that um, I was very aware of in the beginning when I started you know, being given this information was the need for grounding. Mm -hmm. And my immediate reaction was, oh, I can't do that. I'm Catholic. That's hell. I'm not going down there. There's fire and brimstone and, you know, the devil. And no, oh, I can't do that. Uh -huh. And, you know, again, information coming through. That was just a man-made way of getting people to not ground mm. so that you are not getting in, connected into the earth so that they have more control mm -hmm. wherever they are. It's, it's a manipulation of a truth to keep people in a particular way of being that can be controlled. And it's interesting. And that sounds very sinister. And I don't mean to insinuate for a second that there was this sort of, you know, group of people creating these sinister things. The Illuminati? The Illu <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to like p supply right. any kind yeah. of weird conspiracy theory because I don't believe that either. Yeah. But I do believe that there is an an innate knowing that we have mm -hmm. that we need to be grounded for our bodies and mm -hmm. we need to be open for our souls. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a just, it's like in the DNA of humanity mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. There are two things that that brings up that, that interest me when you think of like going down into the earth and how that was kind of forbidden territory or, oh, you don't want to go there. And yet we live in an extractive economy yes. that finds <laughs> constant new ways to drill down into the earth and to um, compromise and to destroy everything that's down there. I remember a, it's awful. an Indian woman saying to me in New Mexico, we're not supposed to take this stuff out we're of not. the ground. The oil is like the, the veins of, right. the, of the earth. Right. She says, we're not we're taking the to, blood. We're not supposed to take that it's out true. of the ground. And the same thing with uranium. Mm -hmm. or, but so there's that. And then there's also there does seem to be this rage at being mortal, this mm -hmm. rage at death. Mm -hmm. And being part of the earth means that you are going to die. Yes. And yes. how dare, yeah. how dare that be part of your fate as if it's not. And, you know, when you look, for example, at the Catholic catechism, it still says, after they updated it in the 80s or so, it says specifically that with the sin of our first parents, 
death entered the world. Well, bullshit, man. I mean, from the beginning of the universe, you had the particles and antiparticles knocking each other out until there was like one billionth of them survived to then go on and make all the things we know of as the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, death is, is certainly a... We are a stardust. <laughs> we are gold. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, and, and death is certainly a part of Absolutely. sexual reproduction. Yes. I mean, you could be an amoeba and just split off and live forever. That wouldn't be much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and these beliefs, I think, are so deeply embedded. But think about how different the world would be if we could see these hypocrisies that you're showing and these reflective negative you know things that we're doing to the earth etc cetera, etc cetera. think about how powerful we would be if we understood the truth of what we're capable of for ourselves not by plugging into any religion not by plugging into any belief system at all just because we are who we are just because we're love if we can just think about the power and the potency of just that and how if everyone was working in concert with everybody else because we had a relationship with everybody mm -hmm. because we see I see that you're no different than I am if if you know a person of a different color was sitting here with me right now I would see that they were exactly the same as me mm -hmm. you know genetically they're showing us that that's the truth mm -hmm. I mean, well, oh, how yeah. many how, how different is that you know like one gazillionth of a of a gene maybe right you know it, we're the same if people could truly genuinely understand that and see that we are all the same and stop only looking through you know, this little prism of, of culture that we live in, mm -hmm. the world would be a completely different place. So how do we do that? By doing it for ourselves. By doing it for ourselves and taking that truth and sharing it with the people that we know and getting them to understand that truth and then them sharing it with the people that they know and it has this ripple effect that goes out. And there's enough people on this planet right now dotted all over the place who believe what I believe and what you believe. And I'm not trying to say I'm right and anybody mm -hmm. else is wrong. I do not mean that at all. We're all on, on a road to get mm -hmm. to a certain place. Mm -hmm. We're all just at different pathways. Mm -hmm. We've got different, different roads, different avenues, but we're all heading to the same place. So it, again, acceptance and love of others. That's how you do it. You know that book that you suggested to me? Um, Michael Singer? Yeah, Michael Singer's great? book. I love that book. I know. The untethered, untethered soul. soul. He's amazing. But there seems to be, with with him, with Eckhart Tolle, yes. about resistance. Mm. The difference between resisting something, and and causing yourself stress, mm -hmm. and as um, Byron Katie, yeah. you know, loving yeah, yeah. what is. Yes. And yet there seems to be so much stuff to resist. So much like nasty stuff. But 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 there's a difference between flow and acceptance and resistance. So if we're resisting things, you're like, you're like trying to hold back a tsunami. Mm -hmm. Acceptance means you're taking it on. If you, if you let it flow through you, that's a different thing altogether. So we have to accept what is, but we have to then let it flow. You don't hold it, you don't, you don't hang on to it. And that's when we have clear energy centers, you can do that. Mm -hmm. If our energy centers are not clear and we're holding on to all sorts of stuff from our past and from even past lives and crap that we've gotten on our emotional level and on our physical level, et cetera, et cetera, if we're holding that stuff, whatever's coming at us gets caught in it. Mm -hmm. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you can't see your truth anymore. So there's the, there's, do you, am I making yeah, sense? Yeah, do you yeah, yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And also this is all an illusion anyway. Right. 
let's just go there. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> when, when does the bar open? we all need to meditate and then leave you hanging. So if you go to the website at meetyourmyth.com, you'll find a link for a guided meditation Laura recorded that helps with the essential grounding she talked about. Also at meetyourmyth.com, you'll find show notes where I'll list the books we've talked about, the links to Laura's website, and my blog about the new origin story we're being called upon to create. You can also subscribe to new podcasts and blog posts. The music we use during this podcast is Modal Kalimba. The kalimba is the African thumb piano. The album is called The Blue Dot Sessions. Our opening theme is She Say Go by the Birdie Num Nums. Now go out there and hug a tree or something.